Uh, Exodus chapter 5 this morning, if you would. Exodus chapter 5. After Moses encounters the Lord at the burning bush, he and Aaron, they, they go to the elders and, and really to the people of Israel and, and those miracles that God said that he would give Moses and Aaron to confirm that he is the messenger of God. Uh, they perform before the people and the people receive them and uh, they agree uh, really uh, to allow God's appointed man to lead them. And uh, that brings us to Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to read the first five verses here. And so the people have decided that uh, they're going to follow Moses and Aaron's leadership. And, of course, we know that God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh that uh, he would like to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And let's pick up reading here in Exodus 5.1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I uh, let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews, excuse me, and they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people... Excuse me. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto their burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many... And ye make them rest from their burdens. And so, uh, after what we talked about last week and God confirming uh, Moses and and really dealing with all of his excuses, and Moses uh, obeys the Lord and they go to Pharaoh and say, we want you to let these people go. And and of course, we know that Pharaoh says no. Uh, Verse 2 in in chapter 5 here, we see that. And... and, uh, This morning, we're going to talk about the danger of not listening to God. The danger of not listening to God. And we know that Pharaoh refused to obey the Lord. He refused to obey uh, the word of the Lord and and the Lord's prophet, uh, Moses. And so, um, what a dangerous place to be, to be in a place where we refuse to listen to God. And uh, Pharaoh, he commands the taskmasters... So we're going to kind of do a brief overview of some things this morning and and hopefully draw it to an application at the end of the lesson here. Um, But we know that that Pharaoh refuses and he he really calls them out saying, hey, these people, get these people back to work. Uh, We see that in verse verse 4 and 5 there that that Pharaoh just expects them to go back to work. And and, uh, so, but he also tells the taskmasters, uh, to quit providing some of the material that they needed for the work that they were supposed to do. And they were going to have to do the same amount of production without the benefit of being provided uh, the straw or the materials that they needed to, to do what they were doing. And ch- in chapter 5, and verse 9, it says, uh, Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And so he, he, he's like, we're going to get these people to work. Uh, I, I'm not going to listen to what these people have to say, what they say that their God is telling me to do. Uh, and so the taskmasters, they do as they're commanded. 
Uh, as a result, the Israelites blame Moses, right? Which, you know, oftentimes we misdirect our frustration at, at God's man. Or even when we do that, it's really at God. And because these people had submitted themselves to the leadership of Moses, and now all of a sudden things ain't going the way that they wanted it to go. And so now they're going to get frustrated at Moses. And, and we see that throughout chapter 5. And, and uh, Moses kind of gets a little bit discouraged. Uh, and, and he doesn't understand, and he has to go before the Lord. And, and God reassures him, reminding him who he is. This is chapter 5 and 6, and really in parts of chapter 7. And uh, he confirms those things and gives Moses some miracles that he can do, some signs and wonders uh, that, that he can do uh, to confirm who he is and really that Moses uh, could be obedient and continue on. And so after Moses are, and Aaron are reassured, uh, they do as the Lord commands. Uh, and they go and, and uh, <clears throat> they go again back to Pharaoh in chapter 7 and uh, they perform these things that God had told them to do and in response, uh, Pharaoh again says no. Uh, we, we know many of you are familiar with this story, and it talks about his heart being hardened. And, and, uh, but we know Moses, or Aaron, excuse me, throws the staff down uh, before the officials, and it becomes a serpent. He begins to do those signs that, that God had given him. And, but what's crazy about it is Pharaoh's sorcerers or musicians do the same thing. And uh, I don't know if there's really a, a full answer here, and, uh, but how in the world are these guys performing this in chapter 7? What in the world? This is a sign from God to... But we know that, that what happens to the magician's serpents, they're swallowed up by, by, by God's serpents. And so we know that God is, is the one that's really in control here. And, and uh, <clears throat> it says in chapter 7, verse 12, For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And so uh, we don't know for sure exactly what took place here. Uh, some of the commentaries say that this was maybe some sleight of hand or illusion, that the Egyptians could have snakes as well, and, and, or maybe it was some uh, demonic power taking place here. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, but we'll see that throughout these plagues, as we call them, uh, that they go through, that the musicians were oftentimes able to replicate what uh, Moses and Aaron were, were doing. And, uh, but yet, Pharaoh still refuses <clears throat> to listen to Moses and to Aaron, and uh, they make a mockery. And so God begins to make a mockery of the gods of Egypt. Um, as we go through these plagues, uh, God sends ten plagues. We're going to look at nine this morning. <clears throat> we call them ten plagues or judgments, and each of them really is directed at an, a false god in Egypt. And it's a reminder of God is really in control. Uh, this is the I am, if you remember from last week, that is speaking here. Uh, this isn't just some random uh, Hebrew and Moses and Aaron that just decided they're going to take control of a situation. No, this is God working. And one thing I want you to think about as we go through these plagues is, uh, and in reference to them being, we'll, we'll talk about some of the gods that these things represent, but we may not have gods that we would call them in our lives, but what are the things that we trust in <clears throat> that cause us not to be obedient to our God? Trusting in our finances. Trusting in our strength, our physical, or our youth, maybe. Uh, and, and oftentimes we are disobedient to God or we don't respond to God like we ought to 
because we're tr- really, truly, we're just trusting in something other than God. Uh, and we need to be careful about that. Uh, but the first plague here in chapter 7, it kind of goes through verses 14 through 25. God tells Moses uh, to wait for Pharaoh on the bank of the river. And uh, the Nile was, was essential to Egyptian life because without it, uh, I mean, the land would be a barren desert, uh, really. And so it was critical. And Pharaoh arrives at this river, and, and it's very possibly he arrived to worship the river. Uh, the river was worshipped there, and they referred to it as the God, the river of life. And so they understood that the river was critical to their, their livelihood there, but so much so they begin to worship this thing. And uh, so uh, in the presence of Pharaoh and his servants, as the Lord commands, Moses tells Aaron to strike the water in the Nile River with his staff. And uh, when he does so, it turns into blood. Uh, the fish in the Nile die. The river stinks from ten thousand. I mean, thousands and thousands, millions of dead fish. I, I would imagine. And, and uh, but the interesting thing, Pharaoh's musicians they duplicate this miracle. <laughs> well, if the water's already blood, how do they duplicate it? Well, uh, if you look at this, and we're not going to look at all of this, I encourage you to read chapters five through ten. It, uh, I'm sure many of you are going to be there soon in your Bible reading. You know what? By the way, you guys made fun of me last week. Because I brought up, oh, you guys should have been reading about this far. Nobody, everybody's like, oh, I don't like deer in the head, like blank look. Like everybody's like, just hung me out to dry. And then somebody that night texts me and said, hey, I'm in Exodus chapter 4. Everybody played dumb in here. And then I knew for sure. Sometimes I think you guys are just picking on me. So perhaps you've already read this in your Bible reading schedule. Yeah, see, some people are, thank you for engaging me, Mrs. Byers. Some people just leave me hanging. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I like a little bit of interaction. You guys don't have to hang me out to dry. And you know what? I'm glad to hear you're reading your Bible, because I was really questioning after last week. Anyway, but it, here we are, Exodus chapter 7, and, and the, um, the Egyptians, they, they replicate this. And, and if, you, if you remember from reading, after the water was turned to blood, they, would, they dug wells, kind of basically. They would dig around the river, and then they could get some water. And so, and again, I don't know if it was demonic powers. I would think it's very likely. Um, or they didn't have, what is it, red dye? Die number whatever red or whatever it is that we die all of our stuff that's supposed to be bad for us today. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, the musicians they duplicate this and and look at Pharaoh's reaction. If if you want to look at Exodus chapter seven verse twenty two, and the musicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And and so, even in the midst of this, Pharaoh just hardened his heart. And perhaps it's because of the uh, perceived capability of his musicians and he was still able to trust in their system of religion, if you will. Uh, We need to be careful that we don't trust too much in and of ourselves in in our abilities and what we do. And and so Pharaoh returns to his palace and he uh, really kind of seems to put the whole matter out of his mind. Uh, The Egyptians can no longer drink water from the Nile and they're digging the wells and those things and and, uh, but after seven days, God sends frogs uh, in 
Exodus chapter 8, after warning Pharaoh of the next impending plague, uh, he does not let the Israelites go. And the Lord tells Moses to stretch out his staff over all the rivers, the, really all the bottles of water, the, the, the ponds and the canals uh, that were probably dug. And, and when he does it, frogs come up all over the land. And uh, uh, it's likely that this plague is directed to the Egyptian goddess of fertility and birth. And it, that was pictured, it was uh, a feminine body with a frog's head is uh, the picture of, of the goddess that they would worship. And, and frogs, to some extent, were considered sacred in Egypt, and uh, they wouldn't be killed. And, but frogs are everywhere now. They're a problem. They're in the palace, they're in the bedrooms, and uh, they're hopping on the beds. Uh, you know, I, I know some people sleep with their dogs and cats or whatever, but frog? A slimy, nasty toad or something like that? That's, that's not very pleasant. And so what a miserable experience. And it reminded me, I went to Guam one time. I was st- when we were stationed in Japan, I had to go TDY, and I went to Guam uh, for some training. And, and we got there, and it was after we, we got in, I think it was at dark, and it was raining. And so we all go into our tents. And so when you guys give me a hard time about being in the Air Force, I wasn't always at the Hilton, all right? <laughs> I wasn't that part of the Air Force. Now, they do exist. I think it's the officer corps, but... I just like to poke fingers. But, but so we, we go into our tents, and it was just a terrible downpour of rain. And we come out the next morning, and there's these frogs everywhere, like these nasty-looking toads. And I'm not, I'm like, we are driving, and we're running them over. There's just so many. They're all over the road. And, and I was thankful that they weren't in my, my sleeping bag with me. They're disgusting. Frogs are gross. And, but God sends these frogs, and it's really just to... Uh, remind Pharaoh that, that the I am is, is God. Uh, they don't need to be trusted in, in whatever gods they think that they have. And, and so, but the musicians begin to duplicate this miracle with their enchantments. The Word of God tells us, how hard would it be to duplicate if there's already millions of frogs everywhere, right? Uh, but nonetheless, they do that. And, and so Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and begs them to take the frogs away. I want to get rid of these. And so uh, the crazy part is Moses says, sure, I'll I'll get rid of these things. When do you want me to take them away? And Pharaoh's response is tomorrow. And I don't know if you guys know Mark Rogers. He's a singing evangelist. And he's the person that, I, I don't know if he, the song originates with him, but he would travel around singing one more night with the frogs. And uh, he was a, a guest speaker when I was a teenager at a, at a youth conference or a rally or something. And uh, I'll never forget one more night with the frogs. And he, that man, he can tickle the ivories. Mark Rogers on that piano, he's good. And, and he's got a, uh, the Lord's blessed him with a good voice. And, but how similar are we at times? God's done something in our life, but we will put off our obedience. We know God's worked. We know God's brought judgment. Or uh, we want the frogs gone. We want God to bless. But we, for some reason, choose to sleep miserably with frogs one more night. Because we delay our obedience. God, help us. Listen, we, we expect immediate obedience from our children. Delayed obedience is disobedience, we say, but how oftentimes do we respond to God that way? 
when God works in our life and God says, hey, you need to deal with this thing. And well, I'm just going to be miserable and sleep with frogs one more night. God, help us to be obedient immediately. Uh, Listen, the misery in our life is often self-inflicted because of our own bad decisions, because of our sin. Uh, Look what God says in Psalm 107, verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. How often we bring things into our life that we have to deal with just because we refuse to submit to the authority of God. Uh, God, help us. Oh, how stubborn we can be. Oh, how stubborn we can be. But, nonetheless, the next day, God takes away the frogs, as Pharaoh asks. Then things are piled up, and and Egypt stinks. Uh, Can you imagine the smell of a bunch of rotting frogs? Ugh. I don't even like the smell of my three teenage boys. And so God resolves the frog issue. And we see in 8.15, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go again. He refuses to listen to God. He refuses to submit to God. And, and, uh, but that brings us to the next one, lice. We see this one, unlike the previous ones, this one comes really kind of unannounced, at least to Pharaoh. Uh, the soil is in Egypt was some of the most fertile soil in the world, and, and it was consequently worshipped as a god oftentimes. They would worship the soil there and... And God commands Aaron to strike the dust of the ground and lice infest the people and the animals throughout Egypt. So God uses the very thing that they, they worship. And the Hebrew word translated lice, uh, cane, I believe it is, uh, likely refers to a species that's very, very, barely visible to the naked eye. Is some of the, it's, so it's, a, it's a, a, a lice that you can't even really see. And I know that's true of head lice. I mean, you've got to really look to find that stuff. So I've been told. I, don't, I haven't had it. Well, I think I did when I was a kid. But nonetheless, I remember my cousins with a fine comb trying to find those things and picking through the hair, right? Uh, and so I, I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy the thought of things crawling on me. I mean, maybe there are some that do, but I tend to not enjoy that, especially if I don't know what it is. And if you could, could you imagine so much lice that you could feel them crawling and moving on you, but you can't really see them? You know, that's disgusting. But God sends the slice and they creep into their ears and their eyes and their nose. And, and uh, many think that they were a biting insect of some type that would cause some pain and some swelling. And uh, Exodus 8, 16 and 17, and uh, the frogs invaded their homes and now these lice are infecting their bodies. Interesting enough, the, the magicians are unable to duplicate this plague. And so what do they declare to Pharaoh in, in 8.19? It says, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. There, there's no doubt. Hey, we can't recreate this thing. No question in our mind that this is God. Look at the latter part of chapter 19, though. How Pharaoh just seems adamant to refuse to listen to God. And then we know his heart is hardened and in 8.19, the latter part of Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. He just continued, even though his, the musicians, up to this point, they had, he had trusted them, and, and they had been able to recreate things, but at this point, they're like, hey, this is something other than what we can do. 
But Pharaoh was hardened nonetheless. And, and so Moses confronts Pharaoh and declares, Jehovah wants him to let his people go. And we know it's to, that they may go and worship the Lord. And uh, Moses warns if he refuses, God will send swarms of flies on him. And, uh, and all of his officials and all the people. And uh, look at what Moses says in, in Exodus 8.22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which, thy, or in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Can you imagine what an amazing thing it would be to see flies everywhere, covering everything, but God says he's severed. And and I, I imagine it would look something like the wall at the Red Sea when God parts that thing. And there's just a void in the air where there's no flies over the people of Israel in Goshen. Uh, where they had settled, and and uh, Pharaoh uh, still refuses, <laughs> and as a result, the next day, thick uh, forms of flies are just everywhere. God says, "I'm going to send some flies, and I'm going to separate my people so they don't have to go through that hardship." And and uh, Pharaoh says, "You know, whatever." And so those flies do come, and and. Uh, course I don't know if they had modern day screen doors and windows and things like that but I would suggest to you this morning flies were everywhere and I've been in the Middle East at times and you know we'll have landfills for for our waste and we'll have uh, open pit wastewater ponds Kandahar was the worst one may, I'm, oof, turn your stomach just to drive by from a distance and, you know, there's all these flies and just, and those things are disgusting. And you ever had a fly get in your nose? <laughs> get that thing out of here. I mean, these guys, there's flies everywhere. There's no comfort from this. But over in the land of Goshen, God's people are safe and secure and uh, they're not dealing with the same thing. And, and so this, I, I, the scholars really don't agree on which God that this is addressing uh, but I found a reference to the false god Kafri. Uh, it's thought to be a self-created insect god. Um, it, it kind of a, more of a beetle look, I, I think. And so I think it may stand to reason that these flies may be to denounce this god, uh, kind of the self-created god. Uh, and so Pharaoh summons Moses and offers a compromise. He's willing to... Let the people go sacrifice Jehovah, but they need to do it in Egypt. So the flies brought them to a point where, hey, let's start to negotiate some things here. And, and, uh, but Moses responds that the Israelites would sacrifice animals that are considered sacred to the Egyptians. And, and now it's going to cause a lot of problems and conflict. And, and so Pharaoh makes a promise that um, promises if Moses will pray to his God and make the flies leave, that uh, they can go three days journey. And uh, if they don't go too far, <laughs> he still wants to limit and have his terms in the matter. And, but nonetheless, Moses does his request and the flies leave. And uh, what we find again is Pharaoh won't let the people go. Uh, he doesn't release them. And then it brings us to the fifth plague in chapter 9. Murian, or 
Mirian, a plague, and, and Moses warns Pharaoh that God says, let my people go, uh, that we want to go serve. And you know, Pharaoh refuses, and, and so all these domestic animals uh, of Egypt, they will suffer a, a deadly epidemic. Uh, there's some things I saw. Somebody said they think it's possibly it was anthrax. Uh, but also, uh, the most common, I think, is babesiosis. And, uh, and so this, really, the bulls and, er, were a symbol of fertility. And I think it's Hathor was regarded in ancient Egypt as a, a cow goddess. And so no doubt God is attacking this God that they look to. And uh, oftentimes cows were considered sacred there in, in parts of Egypt, at least, for some of the people. Or, um, but this is more severe than any of the other plagues. Because now it becomes at a personal cost to people. It has a little bit of greater effect, I think, on most people. And, and again, God would work and separate uh, the people of Israel from this. Uh, but no doubt the people would suffer greatly uh, financially in, 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 in their wealth and things. And, uh, but the livestock of Israel is spared in chapter 9 and verse 4. Um, <clears throat> But when it says the phrase, all the cattle of Egypt died in chapter 9, verse 6, uh, I think it's some of every kind of livestock, not literally every animal. And I say that because when the hail comes, they're warned to go get the livestock and bring it in because anything that's out in the field, any person or animal will be killed. And so uh, this is likely not every single animal died in this. But every type of animal was affected, whether it was their, their herds of sheep or cattle or, or whatever, uh, camels and, and things like that, but any of the domestic animals. And so, but Israel's livestock would be spared once again. And uh, look at chapter 9, verse 7. And Pharaoh sinned, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Boy, this guy just won't give up. Like the third plague, number six is not announced. Moses takes handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and tosses it into the air while Pharaoh watches along and those ashes spread all over and causing festering boils to break out into the people and all the animals. And uh, this, I believe, is a plague directed at Isis, uh, the goddess of healing. Uh, reminding the people that their God of healing is powerless against the God of Israel. Uh, he can bring pain and inflict things, and your God of, can't, can't do anything about it. And, and then that brings us to the seventh plague uh, of hail. And so with Egypt's fish and meat supply almost destroyed, God moves to their crops. Uh, and He sends some hail and and, and starts to destroy the fields and, and even the animals and those things. And I came across this. There was a hailstorm in Nebraska, Aurora, Nebraska, in June 22, 2003. So this is pretty modern. And there were hailstones measuring seven inches in diameter. I ain't wanted to get hit with one of them things. That's, that's bigger than a softball, I think. I don't know what the measurement of a softball is. But talk about getting hammered. And uh, so God <clears throat> executes judgment 
uh, on their fields and anybody that that's going to be outside, that's remaining outside, will die due to these hailstones. And uh, this is likely directed at the god Nut, uh, the sky goddess. Uh, and so here, with his economy in shambles, what does Pharaoh say to Moses? Look at chapter 9, verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. He then offers to let the people go. Uh, he, it seems like maybe he's going to concede. And, uh, and so if Moses would stop the hail, and of course Moses does. And However, when the crisis is over, they go back to business as usual. Pharaoh's not going to let him go. God, help us. How often do we call out to God and say, God, I need your help. I need deliverance in this situation, in this circumstance. This is too much, Lord, and, and you can only imagine the devastation that's taken place up to this point. Their cattle's been attacked, all the fish and all those. Now their fields are being destroyed, and anything else that's left out in the field. And, and he finally comes to the point, okay, okay. But he reneges, and his heart is hardened. How many commitments have you made to God under duress and then failed to keep? Oh, God, if you would just work on my behalf in this area, I, 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 I promise I'll be obedient to you. I promise I will live for you. God, help us not to be like Pharaoh. And so, of course, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he, and he doesn't respond, and, and then the locusts come. You know, Pharaoh, it's just the same thing over and over. Let the people go, and oh, no, and... And so when Moses predicts that locusts will devour all that's left in the crops, Pharaoh's advisors, they're really kind of terrified. They're concerned. They urge him to let the people go. They're like, hey, we've taken on too much already. Let these people go. So it's an indication that other people in Egypt are beginning to see who God is. Uh, the other leaders and his advisors are saying, hey, Pharaoh, it's time. But Pharaoh is not ready. And so the locusts come and they cover the whole land. And the Bible tells us so that the land is darkened. A swarm of things so that it devours things. And uh, in this way, the Lord told the Egyptians that it was not Seth, which is the God that is in reference to this plague, who they need to fear. And that was a God that would destroy things and come in. And, and he said, you really need to understand that I am God. And you need to fear me, not this other God. And so Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron, and he repents, and he pleads with the Lord to remove the locusts. And chapter 10, verse 19, And the Lord turned a mighty strong uh, west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. Boy, God can bring deliverance. I mean, there wasn't one left. God keeps up his part of the bargain. But we know that Pharaoh, once again, is playing tricks with God. And so darkness has come, and without warning, Pharaoh, uh, God tells Moses to stretch out his hand toward the sky, and in darkness falls on the land. And it's so thick, you can feel it, the Word of God tells us. And uh, the people cannot see each other, no one no one's, wants to move, nobody can move, and, but there's light in Goshen, where the people of Israel are. <laughs> uh, and so this, this plague is really in the face of the sun god, Ray, 
And uh, so finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the Egyptians go if they will leave their livestock, guaranteeing their return. Oh, you can go, just leave your animals here. And, but when Moses refuses that in total frustration, Pharaoh commands in Exodus chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in the day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses responds to him in, in verse 20, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. The danger of not listening to God is he must continue to take measures or action in our life to get our attention. Uh, <clears throat> God's going to chasten his children. God's going to work in our life, and he wants us to be repentant and, and come to him. Uh, I think of Psalm 51 in, in verse 2. It says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." God just wants us to come back to him. But as we close, I I thought I would read some commentary that I think will be helpful in regards to this idea of Pharaoh hardening his heart. There's some controversy about that and what it means in salvation and all that. But here's this is what Adam Clark says. It's a little lengthy. It'll take us probably to the end of our time here this morning. But I'm going to read it. And uh, I I added a scripture verse here um, because it's in line with it. But uh, I want you to understand that this idea of hardening his heart. But I will harden his heart. This is Adam Clark. The case of Pharaoh has given rise to many fierce controversies and to several strange and conflicting opinions. Would men but look at the whole account without the medium of their prospective creeds, they would find a little difficulty to apprehend the truth. Sometimes we just need to look at the Word of God for what the Word of God says. That's what he's saying there. Don't try to look at it from a different lens or perspective of some preconceived ideas. Just look at the Scripture for what it is. It says, All those who have read the Scriptures with care and attention know, know well that God is frequently represented in them as doing what He only permits to be done. So because a man has grieved his spirit and resisted his grace, he withdraws that spirit and grace from him, and thus he becomes bold and presumptuous in sin. Boy, can you see that in Pharaoh? Pharaoh made his own heart stubborn against God. Exodus 9.34 says this, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And Adam Clark goes on to say, And God gave him up to judicial blindness, so that he rushed on stubbornly to his own destruction. From the whole of Pharaoh's conduct, we learn that he was bold, haughty, and cruel. And God chose to permit these dispositions to have their full sway in his heart without checking or restraint from divine influence. Listen to this. The consequence was what God intended. He did not immediately comply with the requisition to let the people go. And this was done that God might have the fuller opportunity of manifesting his power by the multiplying of signs and miracles and thus impress the hearts both of the Egyptians and the Israelites with a due sense of his omnipotence and justice. The whole procedure was graciously calculated to do endless good to both nations. The Israelites must be satisfied that they had the true God for their protector, thus their faith was strengthened. The Egyptians must see that their gods could not do anything against the God of Israel, and thus their dependence on them was necessarily shaken. These great ends could not have been answered had Pharaoh at once consented 
to let the people go. This consideration alone unravels the mystery and explains everything. End quote. So this morning, as we close, to avoid the danger of not listening to God, and listen, it's all about if you really genuinely wanted to grow closer to God, you would be obedient to Him. You must always obey God immediately and completely if you truly want to genuinely grow closer to Him. Don't lean on your flesh. Listen, we won't call it the God of the Son or the God of whatever that we're trusting in, but oftentimes we're trusting in the checkbook, we're trusting in our physical abilities, we're trusting in whatever in life that you look to over God. God, help us not to do that, but that we would acknowledge Him in all our ways. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this message. I, Lord, pray that you'd work in our hearts, that we would just be submissive to you in your direction in our lives. And, Father, that we would do it in, in true faith, trusting that you have the good in mind for us. Now, Father, as we prepare to go to the next hour, we ask for your blessing, that you'd work in hearts only as you can, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.